Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Who doesn't think about resolutions and creating new goals to achieve at the beginning of the new year? But what drives us to make those resolutions and goals? And more importantly, how will we achieve them? Each new year, Diane Soulier would begin a cleanse to help detox her physical body from the toxins that had built up over the prior year and to help herself promote a healthy lifestyle. But then she paused and asked, I performed this cleanse for my body, but could I do a cleanse to improve my financial and emotional health? Through her journey, Diane discovered what was really valuable to her and began to align her spending accordingly. One critical factor that allowed her to accomplish this was to give herself a 24-hour grace period before she made any purchases. More often than not, she would not move forward with the purchase because it wasn't aligned to what she valued or, quite frankly, needed. Since the beginning of the year, what has occurred has likely changed Diane's life forever, not necessarily from a financial perspective, but more so from an emotional standpoint. This transition helped Diane understand that trying to buy happiness was not making her happy, but learning to understand what she valued today and long-term did. Please enjoy my conversation with Diane Soulier. Well, Diane Soulier, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. I know uh, we've been trying to get this uh, date on the calendar for a while, so I'm excited to have you on the show and and talk about yourself and your story. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited as well. So for full disclosure for our audience, Diane is actually the second client I've had on the podcast. The, the first uh, family I had on the podcast was Mike and, and Lindsay Dillon. And ironically, we're going to talk about some of the same things that, that, that I had talked with them about as far as financial planning and um, cash flow management and debt management. You know a, a lot of different things, but I think where I would like to start, Diane, is you actually brought this up to me towards the end of last year, twenty one, that you decided that you were going to begin 2022 with what you're calling this financial cleanse. Talk to us about what this financial cleanse is and why you've decided to to do this. So you're right. Um, I I recall calling you and saying, hey, I have this idea. What do you think about it? Because of course, you're my financial planner. So I run anything financial by you. But every year, January 1st, I start a cleanse. And you know, it's to get rid of the toxins, get rid of the processed food cravings. And I already worked out. So that wasn't, you know, a New Year's resolution. That's just something that I did every year. And I got to thinking, what about doing a financial cleanse? Because we're always at the beginning of the year, think about our health, our body and our mind. But I thought maybe it was time to think about my financial footprint as well. So that's where I decided to do a financial cleanse. 
And so when, when you say the word or describe financial cleanse, like what does that, what does that mean to you? Like, cause you, you kind of started this without me prompting you at, mm-hmm. at all, I, I think. So what is, what does that financial cleanse mean to you? So I, I applied sort of the same principles from a, a food cleanse where I wanted to get rid of the toxic spending. So to me, that was where I was just spending to spend. Um, it became so easy just to spend with like an emotional high and emotional low. Why not spend some money, get something pretty, something to look at? The same thing with emotional eating. You're eating because of your emotions. So I thought, what about if I just spent on those core things that I need to, house payment, car payment, uh, electricity, those type of bills, and nothing else extravagant at all, or nothing else just because it was small and cheap and inexpensive. So I cut all that out. I initially started with having one meal a week that I could either go to a restaurant or have brought in. And if I missed that week, then I couldn't have two meals the next week. And I actually ended up not doing that all. There was only one other thing that I said, okay, if something, if a concert came up, I could purchase those tickets. Other than that, I couldn't spend anything. And my sister and her boyfriend who live right above me, they were not allowed to buy me things because in my mind, that was still spending money. So I was really in a financial lockdown. That's, that's interesting that, uh, that you uh, made sure that Julie was on board with this as well and not to, not to get you anything and throw you off track. Yeah. And I shared it with my family and my friends because I think, you know, we share everything that happens in our daily lives and we share our emotional baggage, you know, emotional joys. We share our food journeys. And I thought it was important to share this financial journey as well. Um, my family and friends are completely supportive of any journey that I'm on. And they were with this one as well. They're also quite intrigued. Yeah. So that's interesting that you brought that up because, you know, in the research that, that I've read, whether it's, you know, any goal, whether it's dieting, financial, personal, is obviously one, when you write that down, it becomes a little bit more tangent and your success, your probably probability of success of hitting that or achieving that goal goes up exponentially. But then there's a second component to it is like when you actually start sharing it with other people, it goes up again exponentially because you you've now put yourself out there. And you know, maybe some of these people are going to help hold you accountable, but just telling somebody else, it makes it more sticky, more real. What what do you think about that? Absolutely. When you say those words out loud, now you have to take action on it, right? You know, because I told my parents straight away, and my dad was really good with holding me to that. Aren't you on a financial cleanse? I'm like, yes, that's why I'm not buying anything. So saying those words aloud just has more meaning to them. There's more meat in it, which is funny for a non, uh, for a vegan to say that, but they're just, it's more substantial when you say it out loud and you tell people, and then there's the accountability factor. And so have you, so you, you, you've, you've actually had, you've experienced the, the positive support with this, I would say, right from your friends and family. Absolutely. Uh, Many people were curious about it and how did I define it? And I said, well, the beauty of it, because I made it up, I could define it any way I want to, but I couldn't take an easy way out. 
right? So it was really important that if I was going to do this, that I was very serious about this. Um, you know, during the time frame, I had some health issues, as you're well aware, come up and okay, my basement flooded. So I had to take action on that. And part of what I did is, you know, I got different quotes and I made sure that I was invested in the work that was being done. There were times where they needed cement poured. So my sister and I figured out how to pour cement and we poured the cement. I did the takedown of some of the walls and just that in itself was empowering to learn that I could do those things and I didn't have to spend that extra money having somebody else do it. And it's a great stress relief too. Uh, pulling down drywall is so much fun, <laughs> messy, but fun. Yeah. I'm, I, I could see where that could be therapeutic. Um, mm -hmm. the, the one thing that's interesting so far has been the word emotional. You've used that several times and I'm curious to find out, you know, in this first, you know, three months of, of the new year, what have you learned emotionally about yourself and your relationship with, with money and how you spend? Because you've, you've heard me say this at nauseam before. I know I've said it on this podcast many times, mm -hmm. but I have this phrase where the checkbook doesn't lie. What you value is what you're going to spend money on. And if you want to change, make a change um, and really focus on what you value, then your spending has to change with it. Right. So I would purchase things. I would be up late at night. I might be going through Facebook or just looking online and suddenly an ad would pop up and I would be like, oh, I need that. And I would just buy it without a second thought. I think that I was, you know, there are different terms like fog eating, emotional eating. And I was doing that with spending. I was mimicking how I used to eat by spending. And I realized as I took a look around my house, I had just re recently, a year ago, moved cross country from California to Chicago. And I had all this stuff that I had never unpacked when I was in California and it was still here. And it was all, most of these things, I'd say 90% were things that I bought spur of the moment. They made me feel good when they showed up. It, was, it got to be like Christmas because I didn't even know what box was what, but then I never used them. So, you just had to take a moment and say, why are you buying it? What are you trying to achieve with what you're buying? And when there's not a good answer that I'm buying it because I need it for this, or it will help do this, it was just, I'm buying it to make myself feel better. It wasn't a need. And seeing my monthly American Express bill, I would be almost in a panic each month. You know, I'd pay it off and say, I'm not going to do that again. But within a couple of days, you forget about that shock. And so that cycle just kept repeating. And actually, that's a really good point. Like, so how have you, how have you found ways to break that cycle? Uh, well, one of the things that I implemented after I sort of said, okay, the financial cleanse was great for a couple months. Now, what do I do? It's just like you go on a cleanse for your health and you do it for however long, the whole intent is not to go back to what you did before, right? It's to right. change those patterns. So I put myself on a 24-hour hold. If I felt that I needed something that was outside of the routine, you know, utility bills, house payment, car payment, I had to give myself 24 hours before I bought it. And I still do that today. I wait 24 hours 
before I purchase something. It's kind of like that email you want to send when at work when you're angry or frustrated, but you wait 24 hours. And then when you read it, you think, wow, glad I didn't send that. So yeah, it's exactly. the same thing with a purchase, right? Wait to see if you really want it. So did you, with, with having that 24-hour, I guess, grace period, if you will, did you, did you find yourself not purchasing a lot of items then? I did. My spending has gone down tremendously. Um, I had a couple high bills because of house repairs, which you know you're well aware of. But that was it. Other than some recurring payments for some of the utilities, I didn't have those big purchases, or I didn't have what's worse than the big purchases are all the small little purchases that add up to a lot. Yet, what do you have to show for that? Right? I had a bunch yeah. of stuff that sat in a pantry that I never looked at. So one of the things that I did do is I took all this stuff. And where we live, we have this wonderful Facebook group. And I'm sure that many places have them. People just aren't aware of it, that it's a buy nothing uh, exchange. And you basically post things you want to get rid of and people come and pick them up and then they're gone. And then they get value out of something that you purchased that you're just not getting any value or use out of it. It's, It's put away. And that within itself, there were some people that were really in need of a few things and I was able to give them some stuff and just their gratitude was great. Now that didn't create the cycle where I'm going to go out and buy a bunch more stuff and do that all over again. Cause I'm not, but it felt good to offload it. It was sort of like getting rid of some of my emotional baggage, if you will. That's interesting because one of the, one of the conversations um, that Teresa and I have been having uh over the last couple of months is that we went through our own financial planning review. And the one thing that, that always pops up is Starbucks. And when we look back at, and I don't drink coffee, like Teresa's the only one that drinks it. And occasionally she'll get, well, I shouldn't say occasionally, but often like when, when, a, when one of the kids are with her, whether it's the triplets or McKenzie, um, she'll end up getting them something because, you know, kids are kids and they're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. can I get this? Can I get that? And at the end of the year, we found out that we spent $2,950 at Starbucks. Now, full disclosure, you and I are both shareholders in Starbucks. So we're definitely helping to uh, prop up the, the revenue when it, when it comes to that. But the one thing that was interesting about the conversation with Teresa was like, how does that make you feel? Like, <laughs> I'm not shaming anybody that spends $3,000 a year at Starbucks because obviously I'm part of that group now. I'm, I'm sure that there's people that spend a lot more, but is it's coming back to ask that question that you got, that you, that you raised. Right. What am I getting out of this? And for mm-hmm. Teresa, it's a way to start her, her day. It's part of her morning routine, which I have no problem with because if that, if that helps her to get her day going or to give her that emotional jolt that she's looking for, um, then, then that, that's, that's valuable. That's, that's part of her value chain, I guess, if you will, for lack of a better term. And that's okay. And that's where I always come back to, come, I come back to that phrase, the checkbooks never lies. Show me what you spend. I'll show you what you value. And for mm-hmm. her, that's really important. So to take that away 
I, I think would be a, a, a disservice, if you will. Right. And, you know, one person's value may not be another person's. And so everyone has their own unique value. Um, you know, I was going to Dunkin' Donuts often because it was my opportunity early in the morning to go for a walk before I started my day, you know, take a break from the animals whom I love dearly, but, you know, <laughs> just it was my own special time. And then I saw that bill too. And I'm like, yikes. So now I make coffee in the morning here. This is just mine. This is nothing with Teresa. I make my own coffee and I just spend 15 minutes drinking a cup of coffee and just having my alone time. No laptop, no phone, just everybody sitting, relaxing for a few minutes. And that's how I can start my day. And part of what I looked at too with the money was okay, I spent, let's say $2,000 on coffee. I didn't look at what else I could buy with it, but how does that impact my retirement, right? Because that to me is my end goal. I want to be able to retire before I'm, you know, 65, 67. And every time I spend on something, I'm taking away from that. And so I have to just remember that bigger goal that I want to be able to retire. I don't want to stop working I just don't want to work so hard. Yeah. So. And, and that's an interesting point because um, it, in my world, I call that opportunity cost. And it's, it's something mm-hmm. I have a lot of conversations with, with families in that. And I always use this, this analogy uh, uh, of a pie, like a circle. And everybody has their own priorities, these slices of the pie. And what allows you to sleep at night is different than what allows me to sleep at night. But it's it's dialing in to figure out what it is that's important to you. And again, aligning your spending. Because at the end of the day, most people, and we're in fortunate financial situations where we do well. Um, mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people that do extremely well. Um, but it takes effort. It, it's not something that comes naturally or easily or easy for most people. But understanding their their why and aligning to that to their spending, because at the end of the day, I tell people you can do most anything that you want, but the one thing you can't do or can't have is everything. And I think that's what really trips people up is, and I think it's harder today because of social media pressures. And you know, you look at Facebook, and it's a highlight reel of everybody's vacation. I mean, our kids were just on spring break last week. And so, you know, we, we experienced this firsthand where everybody's like gone to someplace warm, Florida, Mexico, wherever. And, you know, we were here in Michigan, which is, which is fine because we went to Florida five weeks ago for their kids' midwinter break. And it's like, you have to make decisions. You have to have, you have to make choices on, you know, what you want to do today and how that impacts your your future self. And I don't think that we give a lot of credence to that future self like you're talking about. Right. And, and I think what's really important too is always understand why you're doing it. And you and I talk about that a lot, right? But the why you're doing it, you know, the Facebook with social media, you see these pictures and, you know, people are presenting their best light typically right? You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know, you know, what their situation is and you can't compare your situation to somebody else's because you just don't know. And if you're constantly comparing, you're constantly trying to keep up 
and that will never work. So, you know, other than concert tickets, because yes, I will buy as many concert tickets as I can, but we also have a limit. We don't just spend to spend. Um, but you just, you really need to continually ask yourself why. And that's one of the things I've still carried with me through this cleanse um, is why am I buying it? Why do I want it? What do I intend on doing with it? And when you, you know, that's part of that 24 hour cycle, right? You don't wait 24 hours, but you don't think about it. You ask yourself some really hard questions. And then if, you know, it passes the muster, yes, you buy it, but then maybe you don't. Cause typically within that 24 hour period, you forget about it. Right. Right. So, and if you're not obsessed over it, then you probably don't really want it. Were there any other guardrails besides the the twenty four hour period that that you had put on yourself when it comes to spending? If it were a bigger purchase, I might talk to someone. You know, typically my sister. Um, I would look again. I'd look to see how am I going to use it. Am I am I just going to put it in my pantry? Is there a need for it? You know, when I work from home, so when I would clothing purchase do i need five sweaters or seven sweaters or ten because honestly who's going to see them it's not like we really go out right so it's just rethinking everything that i was spending and how i was spending and that has just continued over um the thing about a cleanse you know and, and i know that i mentioned this earlier if it's just a temporary thing you really haven't changed anything you've changed something for 30 days or 60 days and then you've gone back to the routines so that why that we talked about understanding the why taking a moment to just breathe and see if you really need it those are things i plan to carry on you know just into the future because i think financially it's helped me out so much more actually that's a that's a kind of good lead in to the my next question is is how do you how do you foresee yourself taking this and, and moving it forward. Cause I think you make a good point where the, the 30 day cleanse itself is only supposed to be for 30 days. But I think you made this point that you don't want to revert back to the way you were before. And it's ironic because I hear this often when it comes to COVID, you know, COVID is, you know, upended all of our lives. Um, and for some people it's been, it's been a, a good thing. And so rather than going back to the way things used to be, how, how do we make that permanent shift, if you will, to something that's, that's going to make our lives better going forward? I think you have to, it has to be you being honest with yourself and holding yourself accountable because it's so easy to get back into that. Well, I'm just going to buy this little thing and this little thing. It really doesn't impact me. But it does. Again, those little purchases add up. So holding yourself accountable, asking questions, trying to determine if you really need it, um, not spending so much time on Facebook and social media to see all that, right? You know, I can just go window shopping and not buy anything and have a great time. Whereas before, I'd see it, I'd want it, I'd just go in and get it because my philosophy was, well, I can, but I don't need to. And, and that's hard to holding yourself accountable, realizing you don't need those things. You may want them, but do you really need them? Now, that's not to say when I reach some type of goal, I might go out and buy something. But then again, I might not. I'm trying to find different 
ways of rewarding myself, both tangible and intangible, that don't have to center around spending money. One of one of the the points that you made earlier that I want to come back to that I don't think I've really talked about on the show over the last couple of years um, has been this idea of what retirement looks like. And obviously, as you well know, because we've been working together for a long time now, um, I have this term called the hybrid retirement planning. And what, in essence, what it is, is I believe that people who have professional careers, who have been you know, hard driving, are going to have a really difficult time just flipping off a light switch and saying, okay, that's it. I'm whatever age, 60, 65, 67, I'm done. I'm just going off in the sunset. I think that's going to be, then that's a, that's a conversation I try to have with a lot of family office clients, such as yourself, that are in this situation. And as you, you know, get closer to that, you know, ret- those retirement years, if you will, what do you want to do? And to give yourself time to think about that and start making those plans today, because I think there's, a, there's just a lot of people in, in the States today that aren't going to be able to afford the, t- the retirement they want. And mm-hmm. one of the ways that I've found to be able to help kind of bridge that gap is this hybrid retirement plan where let's just say you really hate your career um, and you, and you, want, to, you want to get out at age, I'll just make up a number, age 60. But obviously, that does, you don't have the capital assets to be able to maintain a potentially 30 to 40-year retirement window. So what are you going to do? And it's starting to have these conversations in your mid to late 40s, even as early as that, about what could you do as a second career, a second act. You know, a lot of people use that term and really start thinking about what I could, what could I do from a work-life balance standpoint where the work that I'm doing, I actually really enjoy and it doesn't necessarily feel like work, but yet I'm still getting paid for it. And not using my drawing down on my my capital assets. So that's a really big thing, and and you and I have talked about that for a while because I you know I don't want to work in the environment that I worked in because it was an operational role and it was twenty four seven. And I mean you well know because we couldn't even find time to talk. It really was twenty four seven. My day started Sunday at seven p.m. And it did not end until Friday at 8 p.m. because we were just 24-7. I recently moved out of that role into one that is a support role. And it's just so much different. I don't feel as big as a need to exit as I did before because I actually have that work-life balance. But I know that someday I am going to leave, but I'm the type of person that I'm not going to be able just to sit So I've started to think about, okay, I thought I wanted to be a dog trainer. And I started working with a dog trainer and going on dog training sessions and reading. And then I realized that's maybe not what I want to do. Um, Maybe a dog sitter would be great right now. I couldn't do that because of my dog is a bit reactive. um, So that's not something I could do now. What else do I want to do? So I'm taking time to think about the things I want to do and then try exploring them and know how do they fit? I mean, does this fit well? Is it something I see myself doing? Is it something that I'll make enough money to do the things I want to do when I do this hybrid retirement? Will I have to add something? What I don't want to do is end up 
leaving and finding out I have to work 10 jobs just to have what I want when I retire. So it's I'm trying those things on right now to see how they fit and then eliminating what I don't want. But in the meantime, you know, my job has changed. It's just so much more enjoyable. I don't have those stresses that I had before, which makes it much easier. Yeah. And I think what you hit on there, I, I hope really resonates with, with the audience is this whole concept of test and learn, try mm-hmm. things, see how it fits, see how you like things. Um, you know, when it comes to doing something else as a, you know, post-secondary career, if you will, because I think um, if, if you wait until the end, then it's too late. It's like anything right. the, the best, the best day to plant a tree was uh, yesterday. The next best day to plant a tree is today. And so, mm-hmm. and that's what I try to do in the work that I do with, with families like yours is plant seeds and to get you thinking. And as, as a lot of, as you know, and a lot of families know, it's about the emotional side of, of the work that we do together. Not necessarily like the dollars and cents, you know, that's, that's the that's a foundational piece of what I do, but it's certainly not the most important piece. Mm-hmm. You know, everything. It's so, uh, funny how often we've used the emotion piece of things, right? Emotions tied to so much more than people realize. Um, you know, I absolutely love animals. I have two rescue animals. Um, I would have more if I could, and so that's why I thought dog sitting. I mean, dog training would be just a natural thing for me, and then after spending time, I'm like, and watching someone that I really admire who does it, who helped me with my dog, that to me was exhausting. And so even though I'm so passionate about animals, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. And so the beauty of it is you're trying these things on and if they don't work, there's nothing wrong with that. You just know that that's not right for you for your next chapter So what's the next thing? And you get to continue to explore. And every time you find that you try something and it's not what you want to do, it's not a failure. It's actually a success because you know that that's not going to work for you. So you get to go to the next opportunity. And I think it's important that people should not consider it a failure. It really is a success because I tried it on and it's not right for me. It's not what I want to do. Yeah, you got you got to get through a lot of doors or get through some no's before you get to the real um the real yes. Mm-hmm. So you know as we kind of start wrapping up our conversation, one thing I want to come back to is what has surprised you most about you know the initial financial cleanse that you went through and then the um offshoots ramifications of of going forward with this new uh, Diane, this new spending uh, journey that you're on? You know, this is embarrassing, but I spent a lot of money. I didn't really realize because I don't balance my checking account or anything like that. Um, who writes checks anymore anyway? You know, I do read through my my credit card bill when I get it and I pay it off every month, but it was just something that I was so accustomed to paying off, stressing a little bit not thinking about it two days later. So really seeing how much I spent just made me realize I'm taking away from that earlier retirement. I'm taking away from what I could have when I retire. So that is in the forefront of my mind now for anything that I purchase. 
Um, you know, I bought a house and it's unfortunately had to have quite a few things done. Um, and every time something pops up, it's a, it's a stressor, but I know that I have the money set aside to deal with it. Um, I don't stress out as much. And then I also know that when it's fixed, it's fixed properly and I'm not going to have it come up again. So that helps out, but just the unnecessary spending that I was doing to, again, cover the emotional gambit, the highs and the lows, and just not having money provide the emotional relief that I need. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's that rush you get from spending it is so great. But then it's the, oh, my God, why did I buy this? What was I thinking? Then the guilt comes in. So then it's just this cycle that you go through. And being free of that cycle is just, it's like relief. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that we, we're, we're now just talking about this now at the end of our conversation. But you bring up a really good point about the stress that finances can cause. And mm-hmm. as we've talked about, and as I, as I write, and we talked about before on the, on the podcast is what savings gives you or a disciplined spending plan gives you is financial flexibility. Mm-hmm. And when you have that financial flexibility, you take a lot of stress and pressure off of your lives and in the lives of the people around you. And that, that I don't think gets enough um, emphasis or support is that having these plans, spending plan, savings plan, it really gives you that financial flexibility to take time to be able to breathe and know that like when, and I know you've, you've mentioned it time and time again, like you've had some unforeseen issues come up with your house, but in before you would have been a complete ball of stress because it would have been like, okay, well, where's the money going to come from? And now you don't, you don't have, it's not like it's not stressful when, you know, your basement springs mm-hmm. a leak. It, it is, believe me, we, we both been there before, but it's the ability to handle it with a sense of calm and like, this is not going to like derail me today, two months from now or two years or 20 years from now. Yeah. And that just builds every time you don't spend something. Um, and, and I'm so sorry I didn't mention this earlier, but when you don't spend something, you want it and you don't spend it, keep a log of it. And then in a month's time, two months time, look how much you would have spent, but you didn't. You know, that's something just seeing that, that visual of what you would have spent. And I'm not going to tell you how much I would have spent because that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say it's a lot of zeros, <laughs> you know. Plus the numbers in front of it, but but doing that log and seeing that there's just a sense of accomplishment. You know, I'm very proud of myself for not spending that money, um, and I'm still happy. I'm probably happier than I was. I know that I'm happier than I was when I was just spending all that money trying to buy that happiness, and I could afford it. So why not do it? Well, that that's you keep touching on such such intriguing points where it's, you cannot buy, you cannot buy happiness like that. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is a very honest conversation because those were some, it was an interesting emotional journey when I started and where I am. 
Um, and it's, it's an honest journey as well to say, hey, I was trying to buy happiness. That might sound, I don't know how it may sound to your listeners, but it's real for me. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree. I think it's, it's real for a lot of people. And to, and to really kind of bring this back full circle is that um, it all comes back to understanding your own why. And one of the follow-up questions I was going to ask you to this was, like, what was the tipping point that made you finally decide to do this? I know, you know, usually at the beginning of the year, you know, people have resolutions and things like that. But the one thing that I, I struggle with and and working with people is to get them, you know, you, you hear the the phrase, you lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And, and that's, I, I feel like sometimes I let my families down because I can't get them over the edge. Like they get, we get so far to that tipping point and it's personal to me because I feel, mm-hmm. you know, how I have this emotional connection with all my families and, you know, Teresa and I have this conversation all the time. It's like, I use it as an example, like the same problems that a lot of you have or struggles that, that you have, Teresa and I are dealing with them, you know, just as, just as much. And we're, we're trying to figure out together as a couple, as a family, as individuals, if you will, um, you know, what are those things that will help make something stick? So unfortunately, I don't think it's something that you can really lead people to because I've known you for how long and that's, this is just something I did. But I had an opportunity to look at everything that I was spending while the house things were popping up, right? So part of what I'm sure any credit card debt company does is they give you that what you spent for the year. And at first it's like, oh, cool. Look at all these points that I received. Then it's like, oh, bleep. What did I have to spend to get those points? And what do I have? And it was just taking a moment to just reassess everything. And I was starting to plan my regular cleanse that I start the year with. And it just dawned on me. I mean, I don't really even know that I can say where it came from, but it just dawned on me, I need to do something financial. And I I do think part of it was because I had the big repair coming up and I called you to say, hey, do I have any money? Do I have any cash flow to do that? And I thought, you know what? I mean, I make too much money to be in that type of position that I'm concerned that I don't have enough money for a house repair. You know, we, we had always built a plan, have six months of income ready in case something happened. And that just sort of went by the wayside. So that's when I started framing about the financial cleanse because it just, it was several small things that led up to it. I don't know that it was necessarily a big aha moment. And that's what people might need is just some pointers with, hey, these are these things that are happening and they're adding up. Do we want to take a moment to take a look at it? So my, my final question that I ask all my guests um, is what's the best thing about being a parent? And I know that you don't have kids, um, but you, you've touched on this as being a animal lover. And I know... Um, how important that is to to your your life and how you've rescued animals. So, so rather, so let me twist that question around: Is what has been the best thing about working with the animals that you have over the course of the decades that you've been doing this? 
So I have two animals that had they not been rescued, I don't think they'd still be here because they're both, they're just difficult, but they're also the sweetest animals. As you all know, once you get to know them, they're just super sweet. Um, Having time in the day when you are stressed and you need a moment, playing with an animal just takes that stress away. I can be gone. And when I come home, just they're so excited to see me. Um, They're just so happy. I just can't be mad or angry or sad when they're around. So, you know, taking time to play with them, you know, walk with them, run with them, exercise, getting them outside and just seeing their joy just makes me so happy. So, you know, and, and I think, you know, my people, the same thing with kids is that you've got these beings that are dependent on you and you're actually dependent on them as well. So, you know, and, and I know people have heard this before and it sounds corny, but it's true because they didn't rescue, you know, I didn't rescue them. They rescued me. They, they really did. And I think about that every day, those heartbeats just make me so happy hearing, you know, knowing that those heartbeats are here with me because I do live alone, but I don't really because I have them. Well, Diane, I think that is a wonderful place uh, to wrap up our conversation. I can't thank you enough for being on the show and, and sharing so many personal and emotional um, uh, topics on this um, journey that you've been on. And I'm sure the, the audience will really appreciate it as well and, and have some um, clear takeaways that, that they could do uh, themselves to, to kind of put themselves on this financial cleanse and a, and a place to uh, better financial, but more importantly, emotional and mental health. Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, I want to thank you and Teresa and your family as well, because, you know, this is, you're more than just a financial planner. You're, you guys are family to me. And I appreciate being able to bounce all these ideas off of you. And hopefully, you know, someone may listen to this and say, Hey, I'm interested. And if people have questions, they can, you know, you can give them my information. They can reach out to me and, you know, hopefully someone else will try this. Well, that, that means a lot, Diane. And as you well know, you are definitely a part of, of my family and have uh, enjoyed all the years that we've been working together and uh, can't wait to, can't can't wait to see where this continues to go. I agree. Thanks, Diane. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.